Before we get into today's show, I have to shout out a huge thank you to Snow for sponsoring today's episode. They sent me their kit, which has been an absolute heaven sent treatment. I have been using it every day for six days. It is that gentle. You can actually use it for 21 days straight for anywhere from nine minutes to 30 minutes. I have been using it for about 10 minutes a day. I love it because I can do all of my work from home while I have the device plugged into my phone, which activates the safe LED light. It has been a game changer for all those little frustrating stains that are kind of at the top of my teeth. I eat a lot of chocolate, drink a lot of tea, have a lot of coffee. So if you're wondering if it removes stains from wine or coffee, the answer is yes. It is completely pain-free. It is designed to be used on the utmost sensitive teeth, people with fillings, people with braces, dental work. Anybody can use snow. It is unbelievable. Again, by day six, I'm completely happy. I don't even think I need to use it more days. Maybe I will just as a touch-up. But I noticed about the day four mark, I was really happy with it. And using it those two extra days has really just helped to lift and brighten my teeth overall. The thing is with traditional whitening strips, they always made my teeth sensitive, made me like cringe and just made my teeth tingle. And it was so weird. And I always just felt like they didn't do a complete job. It was always patchy. They would slip off and miss certain spots. Even when I would go to the dentist, they would ask if I used whitening strips and they'd be like, yeah, I can tell like it didn't, (laughs) it didn't work on your molars or certain parts of your teeth. Super embarrassing. But snow is perfect. It truly gives you the results of a professional treatment in the comfort of home. I think this is just truly the future of teeth whitening. The fact that you can plug it into your phone and go about your work, go about your day is absolutely incredible. I have loved the self-confidence boost, and I know you guys will too. You can go to trysnow.com. Use my code TREATMENT for 15% off your order. Hope you guys enjoy. You're listening to The Treatment Room, a safe haven for estheticians and beauty lovers alike to indulge in all things skincare. We've got a lot on the books, from interviews with experts and estheticians to sessions with me one-on-one dedicated to helping you find your glow and reach your professional potential in this ever-changing spot industry. I'm Tess and I'll be your esthetician and host. Feel free to relax, Take a deep breath and grab a comforting cup of tea. Welcome to the treatment room. Welcome back to the treatment room, guys. I'm your host, Tess, and I'm here today with Douglas Preston, anti-aging and acne specialist. He is a friend and mentor, as well as my esthetician that I see and I really miss him in this quarantine. He gives the best extractions you will ever get. And I always walk away with some new wisdom that Douglas is always generous enough to share. And today we're going to pick his brain a little bit more talking about tips and tales for career and life growth, which is 
the title of his new book. So welcome to the show, Douglas. Well, thank you. <laughs> that was a nice introduction. Uh, and I miss you too. I'm so sorry that we uh, that we've been uh, barred from visiting one another. But you know that the sun will shine again, and we'll we'll get back to normal. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just it's it's tough because we all miss that personal care time and. I miss our chats, but I'm excited to talk to you more today. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Why did you write it and who is it for? Sure. Well, this is my 40th year in professional aesthetics and there's anyone <laughs> who's been in it even, you know, 25% uh, uh, of that time knows there are so many, you know, challenges and choices opportunities, uh, impediments, and things that affect us on a day-to-day -day basis as, as business people, whether you're independently employed or working for someone else and trying to um, you know, determine uh, what future direction is best for you. Uh, but as we go along, uh, one of the things that we uh, encounter, even, uh, even on good days, is uh, certain things that come from inside, whether it's uh, confusion about uh, a choice we need to make or uh, wondering about uh, the appropriateness of, of, of our career in the long run. Uh, sometimes we just simply um, lose enthusiasm or we even get a little mm -hmm. bit bored or perhaps we're tempted by outside uh, um, opportunities that could, uh, uh, that could interfere with the, with the progress we're making in the one we have now. So um, this book really addresses as many of, well, there's a hundred there's a hundred things addressed in here, yep. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it, it addresses to the best of my experience, most of the things that commonly affect us, whether it is, uh, again, whether it's slowing us down, putting us in doubt, um, or when we just simply need a pick-me-up and some encouragement mm -hmm. and some direction. This book mm -hmm. covers most of those things in very short, succinct passages. So it's an easy read. You can pick it up anytime or just go by the topic and, uh, and then uh, dive in there. Yeah, it is, a, it is an easy read. It's not overly intimidating. You can just pick it up and gain so many little nuggets of wisdom or just read one or two things a day and feel, feel like your mood is boosted and your outlook is, is more positive. You know, when I first decided to write this, I was going to have one passage per day. In other words, 365 entries. And by the time I got to 100, I thought, geez, I'm just going to be repeating myself. Most of what's there is there. And since I didn't want to go into, you know, Socrates and, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, uh, poets and other people like that to look for inspiration, I thought, you know, this is enough. And so I, I kept it at uh, 100. I think 100 is a perfect even round number. So one of the things I love about your book is that you encouraged people to make a list about the things that they love about, about their job. What are some of the things on your list? What are the reasons you love what you do? Well, oh my gosh, the re there's so many <laughs> reasons. Uh, well, first of all, let's just start with who I am. I'm a fiercely independent individual. I'm, I have a creative mind. Um, I'm energetic and self-motivated, uh, a bit opinionated. 
yes. and not a person who deals with authority as well as I might, right? God help me if I get pulled over by, you know, highway <laughs> patrolmen. I really have to be careful <laughs> because they're taking my time, right? But um, that's true. <laughs> but I really found myself not not suited for working with teams that other people controlled. More yeah. importantly, however, and this is a this is a bit of a recent revelation to me, and it's now part of a series of posts that I'm writing on my Facebook group. Is you know I discovered that you know I've had lifelong um, attention deficit disorder, and what that means is that it was difficult for me to focus on certain technical tasks for very long, whether it is creating a long document. Uh, if I, if, uh, um, whether it was some kind of procedure that had to be worked out, it's, it's hard for me to just settle down into that. And I'll, you know, I'll see people sitting at their desks for hours and hours in cubicles focusing on a screen. I can't imagine how they do that. And mm -hmm. nor do I want that ability, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. but knowing that meant that um, I had to find a career that was suitable for the person that I was because I couldn't find any real way to change that sort of fundamental fact about myself, uh, kind of like, mm -hmm. let's say that you have a certain kind of body, right? I mean, there are just certain mm -hmm. sizes that aren't going to fit for you, so don't, <laughs> don't try them on. <laughs> it just isn't going to work. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're a size 12, don't try to put on that too. So we just have to, <laughs> we have to admit these things and then say, okay, given who I am, in terms of my let's say my uh, psychophysicality and then my interests and my energy level, my intellect, because ADD has nothing to do with that. Then you, and, then and then your proclivities, which is enjoying, for example, for me, you know, fashion and, and appearances and, uh, and, and psychology and sociology uh, and, and, and healthcare. Um, if, you, if you pull from all those elements, and then look at the sort of, you know, the, the panorama of careers that might work with those kinds of characteristics without going to, let's say, you know, a, a career counselor who could help you with that sort of thing. Um, aesthetics just seemed spot on for me. And it, uh, it, certainly, uh, it's, it certainly proved to be the right choice over this amount of time. What advice would you have for somebody who, you know, is, interested in aesthetics but has that kind of looming fear i don't know if it will be the right fit for me you know fear is the is 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 the is the code word here and you were and, and thank you for bringing it up fear is the gateway for uh, and also the, the and the lock gate um for many of us in uh, in any profession but it seems to be especially especially prevalent uh, in aesthetics um if you can't reach inside yourself and find a way to get beyond the doubts and concerns and fears and uh, and um, and ideas like that that hold you back, then that is then you want to reach out, whether it's to your colleagues, to this book, for example, which certainly addresses these things, mm -hmm. and realize first of all that fear and doubt uh, are normal. We all experience that. And certainly I did. And Tess, you yourself mm -hmm. may know exactly what I'm talking about. You oh, know, yeah. yeah. We're not all just, by God, I know what I'm going to do, and I'm going to go out and do it, and, I'm, and you know, nothing's going to stand in my way, and I, 
don't care what happens, I'm just going to succeed. That probably doesn't describe the average person. So going back to what I was saying earlier about self-acceptance, fear is normal, doubt is normal. In some cases, those things can actually be good for you because it can, it can spare you reckless behavior that, that could harm your life, but can also cage you. So mm -hmm. between these two poles, which is you know, wanting to achieve something, but being doubtful, then little by little, just like when we learn to drive a car or getting into a swimming pool, we need to remember that anything new for us can mm. leave us with a certain amount of anticipation and, and fear. So taking maybe small steps, looking at other examples, trying things out, uh, mm -hmm. realizing that you didn't get hurt, um, mm -hmm. that's probably one of the best ways to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to overcome the, um, the, the holdbacks that, uh, that we all experience. Yeah, and at some point, I think we just have to try and maybe feel the fear, but know that you're being drawn to something for a reason. You're probably gonna fumble a little bit in the beginning and that's normal, but you'll find your way. It's absolutely true. I can't remember the <clears throat> name of the author, a uh, female author, and she wrote a series of books about fear. And one I think is called Feel, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm. Um, there's, there's lots of resources for overcoming that. Uh, by the way, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a certified uh, clinical hypnotherapist. And one of, the, one of the things that I have been doing for decades is helping people just overcome phobias and fears and you know, self-limiting mm -hmm. ideas uh, that get locked into the psyche and get paired with emotion and then create a, an, you know, a, 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 an actual block mm. that people won't get around. And um, uh, so sometimes that fear becomes sort of ritualized in our, in, our, uh, in our subconscious. Other times it's just, you know, doubt. And, and uh, mm -hmm. some people just need a lot of time to make a decision. They're just indecisive. Then, well, okay. But again, it comes back to knowing who you are first before you can pick uh, a pathway to, uh, to make progress. I love that. I feel like you are talking directly to me because that <laughs> is so just, I have a hard time making decisions even over the simplest <laughs> thing. You. <laughs> you do. Yeah, you do. You know, it takes me my time. <sighs> Which is fine. It's just that sometimes, you know, for example, in my consulting work with uh, estheticians, we reach this place where they are, that they are aware that they need to make deci certain decisions to get themselves to the next, let's say, financial goal. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, how can I make this profession of mine wor worthwhile? I'm so giving and generous and caring. But, you know, I, I look at my bank account at the end of the month and I just don't, it's just not there. So here we have a, yeah. a, a, a bit of a crisis. And each day that you don't make a positive decision is expensive. There's a real yeah. cost involved. But even that uh, is not enough uh, for some people to, you know, to say, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. And again, it's in our, it's, a lot of it has to do with our nature and, and nurture. Uh, if you come from a family that was hyper-cautious, you may well be too. And... Um, but again, the, 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 the point is, if we want to make progress, we have to find some kind of guiding lights to get us from, from where we are now to where we want to be. And that's kind of, that's much of what this book is about. 
Yeah, it's so funny. I have that quote you were mentioning literally on a post-it in front of me that says, waiting is expensive, so let's not <laughs> limit our potential unnecessarily. I know we've had conversations around this and like having the courage to charge the prices your, your services are worth. Could you elaborate a little bit on on the pricing aspect and the, the finance aspect of this whole world, because I think it's so important. And you were actually the first and really the only like esthetician mentor I've talked to that was real enough to say like, it's fun now and you don't mind doing it for free, but the shine will wear off if you can't support the lifestyle you know you wanna have for yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I'm. Uh, th thank you for pointing that out. I am a little bit different than probably the majority of people in our business, and then I put money first, as above all other priorities in my aesthetics business. Now that may sound a little, um, uh, uh, a little uh, <laughs> insensitive to some people out there, but the simple fact is, is that if I don't make adequate money doing aesthetics, I'm going to find something else to do, because that mm -hmm. I, I, I have to be responsible for my own future. Yeah. And I don't want to, and I don't want to come to the end of my career wishing that I had, but was able to take care of myself or had more money. Mm -hmm. And, and that is sadly going to be the situation for the majority of, of us in this business. And it's voluntary, by the way, not, not, it doesn't have to be, but when I talk about pri pricing, <clears throat> I do things a little bit differently. As a matter of fact, you know, I was, uh, I'm, I'm on many of the professional chat sites on Facebook and I follow along with them more than participate because I want to see what sort of the prevailing mindset is about certain things and pricing is one of them. And recently someone had posted a, a question saying, you know, I'm in an area where I wanted, I'd like to get a little more money for my services. I'm in an area where this is basically the going rate and I'd like to charge this. And what do you think? And so she put this question out there, and of course, answers came in all over the map. But there's one thing, but there is one element that did not show up, which is the first place I would go, which is not, uh, not to answer that question by saying, well, how much more do you want to charge? The question is, how much money do you want to make? And then you have to figure out how much you must charge, not could charge, must charge, in order to meet that goal. So let's say that I want to make clear $100,000 a year. That's pre-tax, but after expenses. And I know what my expenses are. And let's just say they're 50,000 bucks, right? Okay, so I'm, I need to make $150,000 gross. So what I do is I divide that by 12 and I get a monthly rate and then I divide it by four and I get a weekly rate and then I divide it by the number of days I'm going to be there and I get a daily rate. Mm -hmm. And let's just say it's X number of dollars. And then I say, okay, I want to see five people a day or six or seven people a day and no more. So I take that daily rate and I divide it by that number. And that tells me what I got to bring in each day to make that large number at the end. Hmm. And then I look at my service charges and say, okay, given what I've done in the past, which can be changed, of course, is my number adequate for that goal. And if it isn't, how much more do I need to charge to get it? Now, mm -hmm. if you're asking for a million dollars clear a year, 
<laughs> and you got to make 150 or 1,500,000, well, you might be, maybe you're in the wrong profession because there is some kind of market range. Right. But, what, but, but the truth is we don't really know what that is until we venture to charge for it. And of course it's a risk, but the bigger risk is not doing it because that penalty is paid every day simply by doing nothing. Yeah. So if we, if we break this down into numbers, which I do, mm -hmm. and then by task <clears throat> with a number attached to it, you can tell what you need to charge. Now, you don't need to be a financial genius to figure that out. That's one of the main things I do for my consulting clients every day. We just get down to those numbers. And, and what's surprising is how easy actually it is for most people to get where they want to go. They just don't. You just don't take those little bite-sized, you know, elements and say, okay, this is all I have to do today. <clears throat> Surprisingly easy. <laughs> but, if you take yeah. that, but if you take that big number, yeah. that 150,000, a lot of people act as if they got to make that like every day. <laughs> and, and it just scares them to yeah. death. Right. You know, I mean, if you're going to walk five miles, you don't do it in two strides, right? You do it just step by step. And, and, then, and then eventually you're there. So th that is how I operate. And of, of course, there is another element, which is customer availability mm -hmm. and local economy. Mm -hmm. But you know, I located my business in Los Gatos, California, which is the heart really, uh, and it's not, not in terms of where the industry lies, but where the wealth lies. It's one, of the, it's one of the centers of wealth in Silicon Valley, California. Well, I'm here because the fish are fatter. <laughs> now, I, if I go into a little farming town in the Central Valley, you know, the average income is not only going to be much, much lower, but the cultural interest for what I do will also be kind of anemic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I always tell people, don't, don't plant, you know, uh, <clears throat> don't plant palm trees in Alaska. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't, <laughs> they're not going to make it, right? Right. So, so if you are a business person and you are ambitious, you may have to do what immigrants do, which is move from where there isn't anything to where there's something, right? It's, it's, mm. And that's why everybody wants to live in the US. Mm -hmm. A lot of them do well. And so, to, but if you're just going to sit in the Rust Belt and say, well, I'm not gonna do anything until they build a factory and then maybe I can get some money. Well, then that is, that is your own self-assignment. Yeah. And then, yeah. again, this is where courage comes back into the picture, right? And overcoming fear. But it can be done. I know it. Uh, and when I first began my career, I was really scared about whether or not I could make it. Mm. And a lot of doubt. <clears throat> and then later on, you know, it was, like I said, it was like driving a car, right? Suddenly you're listening to music and drinking coffee and texting and you don't even know you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, well, how did I do that, right? You couldn't have done it the first time, first week you got behind the wheel. Yeah. So it is yeah. gradual getting used to what we're doing, but, but knowing what you want, creating a plan is key. I love that. I want to hear more about overcoming doubt and, and where did the doubt come from and how, how do you think you kind of bolstered yourself up and moved past that? Well, you know, doubt for me, and I'll just, 
you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm, 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 I'm a pretty transparent person. I grew up in, a, in an impoverished family in an impoverished area. And the idea of opportunity, of independence, of, um, of having a, a secure um, retirement beyond what, let's say, a factory would, could give you if you were able to keep your job for your, your entire life, hating it. Uh, none, of, none of these things were, were encouraged. Probably the only place I ever saw any encouragement uh, was for kids playing sports, right? Little league and football and that sort of thing. The dads could at least do that. But when it came to mm -hmm. economics, there was literally no talk about that or college or anything like that at all. Mm -hmm. So you had to be pretty much self-serving when it came to those kinds of sorts of things. So as I grew up, without that, uh, I had a lot of doubt about what was possible for me. There were no examples. Uh, but, it, but, my, but what happened was I had enough desire to change those circumstances. And that's really where it comes from, is desire. Mm. To want something so badly that the, that the pain of staying where you are it becomes greater than the fear of trying something new. Mm. So there's really this element. And if you really don't like where you are, but the thing in front of you is scary, if the scales tip where, look, I, I, I just gonna do it no matter what happens because I'm so unhappy where I'm at, then mm -hmm. you will take that step. But doubt can come from, you know, again, it can come from your family culture, it can come from your uh, from, from, from an experience that you had. Uh, it can come from people telling you that you can't do something that you could. I mean, females have dealt with this, you know, forever, mm -hmm. being put in a second-rate role. You know, we're only now beginning to see real representation for women in, in government, for example. Yeah. And, and, and so, but you have to just brush those you know, those obstacles aside and say, I want this so badly, I'm willing to take whatever comes to, to get it, even if I fail. So, <clears throat> so what we, happens though is we internalize this doubt and it, and it becomes part of our sense of self. It becomes part mm -hmm. of our identity. And it's one of the things about poor people, you know, or, or impoverished people. Poverty is not being broke. That has nothing to do with it. That's just, that, that can be a temporary state. Poverty is a state of mind. Poverty is the belief that being poor is who you are and what you're assigned to. And when you believe that, you won't really try to do anything to get around it. Because how can you, right? How can you run a race mm -hmm. if your two legs are missing? Mm -hmm. And so when you internalize the identity of poverty, then you are it, truly it, you are that, you are that thing. And some people will cling to it because it's the only identity they have. They have no idea what it would be like or what it would mean to not be that. That is literally how it works. So you, first of all, you have to look at the nature of your own doubt, if you can do that. And therapy helps, you know, I'm a big believer yeah. in it. To uncover th things about ourselves that we may not be cognizant of other than in just actions, right? Right. You know, I'm not going to go there, you know, or you identify with it. Well, I, you know, I, 
I'm not a people person, so I'm not going to go around people. Whatever mm. one, in fact, your shyness may just be built into your self-esteem. Mm. Just the belief that other people really won't like you. Yeah, yeah. So, so then you create kind of a philosophy that helps you cope with it, but in fact, you know, uh, in, in fact, you know, welds the, the, the door to your cage firmly shut. Something you touch on in the book that I think is, is relevant to this, whether it's um, forgiving yourself or forgiving somebody else, is this idea of forgiveness. Do you mind sharing more about how forgiving somebody, because I feel like that was such a unique thing for you to mention and so personal. How did forgiveness play a role in your career? You know, um, forgiveness, while it is a wonderful thing to put out there in the world, it is in fact a, a selfish act of kindness. Because when we carry grudges and anger and, and hatred and misgivings about other people, we have no control of, of, about any of that other than the fact that those thoughts and feelings exist within us. Mm -hmm. They consume time. They consume energy. They can cost us uh, personally. They harm us physically. Yeah. They burden us. So to let something go, and when we're talking about forgiveness and I say it's a selfish act, it's kind of hard to forgive a dead person, right? I mean, if what you want is something back from them. But forgiveness is another way of saying that this negative weight I've been bearing is no longer necessary to me. And it no longer is relevant to my life and I see the damage that it causes. And letting that go, forgiving means not forgetting, but it means changing your relationship to something that happened that you can't undo, but that mm -hmm. you can redefine. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, that can be some, something as simple as a, just a slight from a friend. Yeah. Um, yeah I lost a, my longest term friendship about a year ago to something that I have no idea what it was. I've known this guy 64 years. Wow. He won't say what it is. I think it was some little comment I made on Facebook about a photograph. I can't figure it out, right? Why, why would <laughs> I- We all have it? that. We all have that though. <laughs> but, but we're in yeah. the days now where people ghost you rather than face. Totally. Yeah. And that's really sad because it's not very mature. It's also extremely unfair. And that burden must be now be carried rather than, you know, I sent the guy like a letter and a Christmas card saying, you know, how much I, even if I don't see him again, I value all the years that we were together and it, he was a great addition to my life. Nothing, right? He just can't deal with it. So in this case, forgiveness is a problem for him. Mm -hmm. but, but, the, but the fact is, is that it is, a, it is a load that we pick up on our own back like a very heavy sack of rocks and we're carrying it around. And in the end, all it does is harm us. So right. we, we have to recognize the mechanics of resentment and harm and hurt and where it's feed, you know, where it's fed, which is, you know, we, we feed the tiger within us, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And stop doing that. 
And that yeah. means just whenever you encounter this thing, you find another way to interpret it. But Hold up, guys. I want to take a quick little break to thank Gemist. So I have been struggling for the past couple months in finding a shampoo and conditioner that works for me. I feel like my hair has just not been acting right. She hasn't been herself. I don't know what it is. It's like it feels like it had so much buildup. It had no volume. It was lacking shine and just kind of lackluster. And I felt like I would wash my hair and there would still be buildup. And I don't know what was going on. I was trying masks. I was trying clarifying shampoos, more gentle products. I am always preaching about finding the skincare routine that is personalized for you. Same thing goes for your hair care. Don't just follow what your friend is doing because what's right for them, it's probably not going to be right for you. So I highly encourage you to take Gemist's two-minute little quiz and their fancy algorithm will match you with the perfect salon quality shampoo and conditioner for you and your concerns. Gemist offers a science-based algorithm that makes recommendations based on your personal hair data, which is so cool. And this is exactly what I do with my clients. I take in all of their concerns and try to match them with the perfect routine. So it was really fun to get the same treatment in return for my hair care. Gemist offers free returns, so you can try it risk-free for 30 days, and their ingredients are quality, you guys. They are free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, never tested on animals. The sulfates are major. I notice with a lot of my clients who use sulfates in their hair products suffer from pomade acne, which can be those little tiny breakouts on their forehead. It can present on their neck and their back. So if that's something you are experiencing, I highly encourage you to find a sulfate-free hair care system such as Gemist. These are salon quality products and my hair truly does feel like I just went to the shampoo bowl and got my hair done. My hair feels silky, soft, but it has volume. And that's what I was really struggling with, finding the hydration without weighing my fine bleached hair down. Right now you can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner subscription. Just visit Gemist.com to get your personalized recommendations. We're all about the personalization in the beauty industry. And you can enter treatment at checkout for 20% off. You'll get free two-day shipping. That is Gemist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com, and enter code treatment at checkout to get the best hair of your life realizing that you know that the that the the demon is within us not without yeah and i think mistakes whether it's a personal thing a friend a professional relationship a boss or even you know having a, a client situation where you messed up Mm-hmm. you know, mistakes, they happen. Oh, and you talk about oh, that yes. in the book. <laughs> you you touch on making mistakes. And, and I know there's an example in the book, maybe you could talk a little bit about it. Um, um, and I take full responsibility for it. I always do. 
Uh, yeah. Fortunately, it's not very common. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, I had, um, I'd had some kind of negative news about a friend. And I, honestly, right now, I can't remember what it was. But it, 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 it indeed captured my focus. Yeah. The client who came in was a very good client. We've had a great relationship for a number of years. Could tell that I was not myself that day. And I was kind, I was friendly, I was humorous, but I wasn't connecting with her the way that I used to. And mm -hmm. I may have ended that appointment a little short because she, at the end, she said, is, is that it? And I said, yeah. And I think the time was right, but I think what happened was the experience that she was looking for hadn't happened mm -hmm. yet. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what she was saying is not that I, you cheated me in time, but you left out something that was fundamentally important to me that I paid for. Yeah. And she stopped coming to me after that. She didn't say anything. She left a gratuity, but she wasn't booking anymore. And I checked in with her and it turned out that she had found another esthetician who was less expensive. Okay, that's fine. But I wrote her again and I said, and I apologized profusely. I said, you know, I think you felt that I was not mindful of what I was doing that day. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I just fessed up with it. Mm. And I apologize. Here's what happened. This is an excuse. It's a fact. And if you mm -hmm. will, if you will come and see me again at my expense, I think I can correct this and make it all better. And she did not come back. She wrote me a nice letter and said, you know, thank you for that. And now I'm happy with what I'm doing now. But, but, the, but the simple fact is, is that I was not where I should have been. I wasn't mindful enough. This client did not have a good experience. And it's that simple, right? It's just, yeah. just um, an emotional thing. But it does happen. And so when you are when you're looking for you know for example forgiveness in reverse it may not come to you but it is important to be mindful of of what your real role is so that if you're not living up to it you should know that and that that was you know that that course has cost me to this day it's been several years now but at the same time, I, I, I welcome the reawareness that that uh, presented to me, and that alone is valuable. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened for a reason, and it's so easy <laughs> to, it's so easy when, you know, if you have five appointments a day, every day, to kind of go on a little bit of an autopilot, missing yes. that connection, but it just goes to show, you know, people only view you in that isolated time each experience is, you know, individual. That's right. And, um, and again, it, you know, defensiveness will not help you there. And again, yeah. you know, a lot of times on, on, uh, in our Facebook groups, I see people who are angry at customers who, you know, who criticize them and they don't like it. And then they go on and they get all, they get all kinds of, unfortunately, um, moral support that they shouldn't have. They've, you know, they vilify the customer, yeah. make them responsible yeah. for it. And sometimes they are. But look, <laughs> we're in the personal services business, you know, just like, just like being in food service. You know, if you've got thin skin, you're, you better be careful because, <laughs> you yeah. know, every single customer has an opinion about what we do and they may express it either through their mm -hmm. continued patronage or they just may out now tell you. 
Yeah. And so, you know, we can't afford to, you know, to, to be too defensive in that situation. We, we really have to try to see that as an opportunity to learn and improve. I see that too, this, um, it's kind of like a social media thing where, I don't know if you've seen these Douglas, but there are like memes about clients and oh, yes. you know, this kind of person asking for this and the person uh -huh. who's late and this and that. And it, I, it's funny, but it does become kind of toxic. What are your, what are your thoughts? Are you kind of of the mindset, like the customer's always right or, or what do you think? Well, number eight in my book is called That's Life. And it's mm -hmm. about people who don't show up and who cancel last minute or fail to come in altogether. And it's important because that will, you know, you, you look at and listen to what other people are talking about and they, have, they try to come up with all of these, you know, all of these policies, right? Policies to try to stop bad behavior. Well, we've got a 24 hour policy and we charge me all this stuff. I don't care what you do shy of, you know, going and shooting your customer, nothing is going to ever really stop that. It just doesn't stop. And more importantly, as, as, the, as the passage says, we do it ourselves. We've all done that. Mm -hmm. I have. I forgot to cancel restaurant reservations. I forgot to cancel hotel reservations. I forgot dentist appointments I've had. I, you know, yeah. that's human. Totally. So, if we are no better than our own customers, how can we hold them to account? They don't really owe us that time. Mm. But there's another strategy to that, which is you know, part of my business strategy. And, and, and the way I run my business, if I ever get a no-show or a cancellation, I don't worry about it because it's already been paid for by somebody else. <laughs> That's how you choose how you price, right? Yeah, it's booked in, yeah. It's like a restaurant. A restaurant knows that a certain percentage of people are going to steal silverware. Some are going to walk out and not pay. Some are going to refuse to pay for the meal because it wasn't right. Some waiter is going to drop a full plate of food and break the dishes. All those things happen, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to survive, you have to figure out what that cost is over a year because you can, you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then raise your prices to reflect that. And it's paid for. <laughs> no, I think it's it's genius. And honestly, I think it only hurts us more when we like marinate on somebody's mistake and we take it personal and we're like, <laughs> how could they take up my time? Da da da. They're not thinking about you, honestly. Like they're in in their own world. And something I think you phrased really wisely is, you know, sort of not like catastrophizing all of your clients because of this <laughs> this uh, thing that happens and it's really you know 15% or 10% 5% of of your clients so letting it kind of like take over your mindset and ruin the day <laughs> is just it's hurting us it's what i call the spot on the wedding dress syndrome you've got <laughs> a big beautiful wedding dress right all white with a you know, a train and it's just lovely and you look down on your sleeve and you see one tiny little ink spot <laughs> and the whole dress is ruined <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because of that, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it's wrecked. And so, but, but is it? So, so when, you, when we come to those points, those are what I call the thresholds of learning. Mm -hmm. We reach this point where we're upset, we're angry, we're emotional. 
And that is, that, that is the juncture where we can decide, wait a minute, I wanna look and see what this actually means, or I'm just going to go in my defensive shell and blame. And then that will just repeat itself and repeat itself and repeat itself until you either get it or you've paid the full penalty for it. I kind of like to, uh, I kind of like to learn. <laughs> it's, a mm -hmm. lot, it's a lot more lucrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a good way to look at things. So I know something else you touch on, on the topic of social media is kind of like the fame idea and why it's sort of a backwards way of measuring success. I wanted to touch on it with you because I think a lot of the younger generations and the new estheticians listening are really affected by this. You know, they see certain estheticians as successful because they have a big number of followers or they're in the limelight with a celebrity. What's your perspective on fame and, you know, what's like a true measure of success that would be a little bit more um, uh, realistic, I guess. Well, the reason that most people <clears throat> are misguided about the idea of success is if they don't really have any idea what it means. Now, if, you, if success to you is getting a lot of attention on social media, then you can just gauge it by your number of followers. But that's only one indicator. The question is, what are you talking about? How are you feeling? Are, are you worried about losing your following? Do you have competitors out there? I mean, there's all these other things, right? So it's just that one measure. The other thing is, you know, what you're trying to get out of it financially. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I read about success stories on social media, let's say about people who are spa owners or, you know, or estheticians, my first question is, what is the, what is the meaning of that? And so I, as you, you know me, and on, um, I think you've seen it on my, one, on my professional site on Facebook, I literally put my earnings up there, documented earnings, including my Schedule C. And the reason, I mean, you ever seen anybody do that? <laughs> no. Oh, I, and, and the reason I do it is twofold. One is because I want it to be an encouragement to others. Say, look, this is what's possible for us. And two is if I'm gonna talk about success, I need to prove it. How do you, uh, you know, I, there's no proof. This is a thing that just really kills me about all these coaches and so forth that are talking about success is that they're ne they never prove it. Mm -hmm. Prove it. Mm -hmm. Show me that a number and show me that that number is for you valuable enough to say, this is great. Not, you know, so what's that based on? We never have to do that. That's why the Bernie Madoffs of the world get rich and everyone else loses their money because they never made him prove that his investments were even real. Yeah. They just like the talk. And so, mm. and that's why it's so easy for scammers to get along in this world. They don't have to, so many of them don't have to prove it. The minute you ask them for proof, they're, they know they're, they're gone. So, so other people talk, they sell themselves or they sell these ideas based on emotionalism. Oh, it's going to be, and you hear these kinds of things like, oh, it's going to be great. We're doing really well. Oh, we're so successful. Oh, we've had some growth. Oh, fine. But maybe they're $50,000 in debt. Hmm. We don't know. And so the question is, then comes back to each individual, which is, what does success mean to you? And for me, it's always bottom line, which is money, because 
that is the most important thing to me as a person who has to be responsible for his own, his own uh, uh, welfare. And then secondly, it, for me, is integrity. Mm. And the only way I can demonstrate integrity is to prove what I'm saying. Mm. And, I, and nobody will make me do that. But it is a moral obligation to myself to say, if I'm going to make these claims, then I want to show through documentation, not through just numbers, because anybody can, can cook books, that this can happen. My business is real. My numbers are real. My Schedule C is real. These things are real. But no one's ever asked me to show it. But again, that's one of the things that differentiates me from others, whether or not it's an actual uh, competitive advantage. For me and my values, it's, it's requisite. And so that's what I do. Well, I'm glad, I'm so glad you're so candid about it because we need to take the stigma out of being able to support ourselves and like having a good lifestyle where we're not struggling and we can continue to love what we do and appreciate it every day. The simple fact is if you can't afford to support yourself, you're just not going to enjoy the career as much as you did in the beginning. <laughs> It'll be a little harder. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. You know, when sometimes people will tell me that they're not doing this for the money. Yeah. I say, okay, that's fine. Now, do you not need the money? In other words, you know, you've got plenty of money and or, you know, you're married to someone who's wealthy and you really don't need it. If, if that is truly the case, then, you know, fine. Then it's, it is some kind of a philanthropy, philanthropy that people do. And there is nothing wrong with that. Hmm. But, but, but that has to be the truth of it. Because if money doesn't matter to you, that also means that what will happen to me in the end when I'm out of money doesn't matter. And I, that's easy to say until you're there. Yeah, yeah. And I can tell you there is probably few horrors worse for most living people than being old and poor. Yeah. It's worse than being old and sick. As long as you get the money, you can get medical attention, right? But if you're old and poor, uh, boy, yeah. you know, it, it all falls on you. And uh, I know that I wouldn't want that fate. And so, you know, I, and I don't intend for that to be the case. But um, we, the, the point is, is that we have to get to know who we are genuinely, what our motivations are, what our values are what we're really willing to commit ourselves to, like a relationship. And if you know that and you are, and, and no matter what, that is going to be the outcome that you want, then that's going to be nine tenths of it right there. And the rest of it is just doing the work and learning as you go, because we all have to do that. You know, we, in, we reinvent this profession every day. Yeah, yep. It changes all the time. We bring our own elements into it. You know, I certainly have brought things into the aesthetics profession, not trying to change it. I'm not one of those people that's holding up the banner of innovation saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, carry us forward. No, but in the, but if through my experience and my observations, I discover something that might work better, certainly I'll bring that to the attention of others. And, <clears throat> but it was never my intention but it was certainly some of the residual benefits of having stayed in the profession for four decades. 
Absolutely. And I think, yeah, that's the beauty of it. We have the ability to transition. And I think COVID has certainly brought that to light for many estheticians who have, you know, had to adapt. But yeah, I'm I'm personally tired of, of the narrative that estheticians have to be, you know, low earners and we're kind of limited by this by this box. I don't think that's true. And at the end of the day, what you say in your book is you are getting paid for the gift of caring. And it's I think it's a career unlike any other. Yeah, I mean we're limited by the box we build up for ourselves. <clears throat> It can be as large or as small as you want. And there are many different expressions of the aesthetics profession, whether it is like yourself as an influential person uh, or, a, uh, or, or an individual who's working in a spa and has stayed there for 25 years and has been as happy as a clam the whole time. Or you can be an on, online you know, product uh, authority and, and do, uh, do consultations that way. And, <clears throat> You know, you can be you can be an editor for a magazine in, in the industry or a publisher yourself. I mean, there's so many aspects of it. Yeah. But it starts with the individual. You know, certainly when I began, all I wanted was a full book of customers. Hmm. Then the next question is a full book of what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> because a full book isn't the same to every two people. Yeah. And then it go it grows from there okay, I got a full day of eyebrow waxes and, you know, chin, chin waxes. All right. Um, maybe we can improve on that. <laughs> and then, if, okay, now I got a full day of facial clients. How can I improve on that? Well, I can sell them things. And, that, and so your strategies grow from your opportunities at hand. So for example, I could maybe be a person with only three clients a day and make more than somebody with seven or eight. Why not? Yeah. So it, it so these awarenesses arrive little by little, but the driver is what you're working for. And mm -hmm. again, one is certainly, you know, feeling and emotion. That's what most people are, are find get them into the aesthetics profession. I've never almost ever heard anybody answer when I've asked this question at trade shows. You know, have you know a couple hundred estheticians in a room and I'll say how many of you got into aesthetics because of the money you always never see a hand mm -hmm. right. that money will never be the first thing they get right how many yeah. of you came into this profession because you wanted to do you know you wanted to be in a helping and creative profession you wanted to do good things for people and then all the hands are up right like flags okay great so you can see right there the priority and then that's cultural and a lot, there's a lot of answers for it, right? <clears throat> so the question is, how do we kind of level these two things out? Because if it's just about the feeling and the doing and the giving, um, you know, not much money is going to come in there. And that's when guilt and social responsibility and, oh, I can't charge this because, you know, she doesn't have much money and, you know, I'm afraid to ask for this mm -hmm. price. Because what happens mm -hmm. if I get blowback, which is then a, that's a self-esteem issue. And, you know, all those things just cage you up. So we're not doing that. We're not caging ourselves up. We're not limiting <laughs> our beliefs. I would highly recommend if this like if that sounds like you have a consultation with Douglas about strategizing and planning for your future and having having success because you can have it and and you are so deserving of it.
You know, my, my coaching work really is all about personal growth, uh, overcoming uh, uh, obstacles to that growth, and then some, some simple planning to make a business more efficient, more enjoyable, um, and more profitable. Um, in, you know, in terms of, you know, techniques and practice and th things like that, that's not really where I go unless I'm asked to. But that is also the easiest part of our business. I would say most estheticians who've had, you know, five to seven years of experience in education really uh, probably doesn't really need any more to do really well for the rest of your career. Yeah. But we need to switch gears at that point and say, okay, now how do I make the most of the opportunity that I have proven is, is, is viable? And then that's where someone like me comes in and says, okay, well, let's look at all the things you're doing. And first of all, find out where, where you want to be with it and then take it from there. Um, and and first-time consultations with me are free anyway. It's just an opportunity for someone else and myself to decide whether or not we, uh, uh, we can, can be of useful to one another. Mm. I can be a little intimidating to people because you know, <laughs> I've been outspoken and I have a broad vocabulary and all of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really a no, very friendly, caring person. Yes, yes. And, uh, and I will never, ever endeavor to, to embarrass or make anybody feel small. I was there. I know how it feels. I'm with you. And I've had, you know, as many failures as successes. I've had to come back several times, um, always using the same approach. It always worked. And of course, if I can, if I can use that knowledge to help somebody else shorten the distance between where they are now and where they'd like to go well you know, it's 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 certainly meaningful to me why not why not do it nothing to lose yeah. Douglas, before before i let you go can i ask you what is one tip you have for new or current estheticians who really want to kickstart their future they're listening to this episode and like they're motivated what's one tip you have for them the, the tip that I would have for you is to locate your fear and then take one step beyond it. It has to do with comfort level because mm -hmm. that is really the holdback. So for example, when I'm helping somebody price their services, I'll tell them, okay, let's go to your comfort level and then take one step beyond it. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and that is really it. it. Try to see where you're at right now as a temporary situation. Try to see your fear and your doubt as temporary and normal and actually useful. And then take one step beyond it and just see what happens. Just see what happens. Because really, if you think about it, the worst thing that can happen is in, in any situation involving yourself and a client is that they don't come back to you anymore. That's the worst thing. And usually they won't tell you why. And so you're spared that. It's kind of like dating, right? If somebody stop, doesn't want to date you anymore, don't ask why. <laughs> Just move on. You don't want to know. <laughs> move on. And so, but, but, but look at the fact that it happened as a clue. Yeah. And then, and then do better. So again, you want to, you, Business is a risk. Career is always a risk. And the only way you're going to know if you, can, if you can do better is to take that one step beyond where you are now and see what happens. 
like being in the pool before you can swim, right? Go in another half a foot, another six inches. Yeah, you know what? You didn't drown. Good. And so <laughs> you will always go to that level again. So each, that is how we grow and count on that. It's reliable. It will never fail you. <clears throat> and you'll look back in five years, 10 years, or 40 years like me and think, oh my God, <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> and, and I made so little money. And today it's, you know, it's just in my DNA. And it's, I would, could not have imagined a better career and a more enjoyable time than I've had uh, in this one. That is the key, enjoying it and, and not limiting your success. And Douglas is such a testament to that. Thank you so, so much for sharing all of your insights. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your book? Yeah, um, you can visit my website, which is Preston Aesthetics with an E. So one word, PrestonAestheticsAndConsulting.com. I know it's kind of a long one, but there again, PrestonAestheticsAndConsulting.com. Go there. You'll see my landing page. You'll learn a little bit about my coaching work and, uh, uh, and programs. If you'd like to, um, if you'd like to have a, a complimentary consult, there's just a form you can fill out and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, and, uh, and then look at my online store and my book is in there. It's towards the, if you just, uh, I think you the first thing you'll see is my first book, which is also pretty handy, but the one that we're talking mm -hmm. about here, uh, the inspired esthetician, if you scroll all the way down, you'll see it. And of course I have other tools, classes, my fabulous comedone extractor, and, uh, it's all in there. Uh, if you would like to ever text me or speak to me directly, do you mind if I give a phone number? Go for it. And I'll also put all this info in the show notes, but yeah, shout uh -oh. it out. Thank you. You can call yeah. me anytime or text me anytime. I'm a nice guy. 408-677-6105. You'll always find me welcoming and, you know, willing to, uh, to, to, um, to listen to you. So I welcome, uh, I welcome the new friendships. And uh, also I have a Facebook site, which is Preston Aesthetics and Consulting uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can ask to join it and I'll bring you in. And uh, there's a, a wealth of information there uh, available to you for free. Thank you so, so much. I already have a few people in mind who I think would really benefit from your consults, but thank you so much, Douglas. There, people are, are always asking what books and resources I recommend, and I cannot recommend. Both of his books are like truly foundational books. I think every esthetician should have. I refer back to them all the time. I will open them up like when I feel like I'm in a rut and I just need some inspiration. So thank you so much, Douglas, for sharing those resources and for coming on and talking with us. Oh my gosh, anytime. It's always such a joy and it's always a, a really a pleasure to see you. So hopefully we'll be able to do that again before too long. I'll be first in line. You know, I'll yeah. be first in line as soon as you're open. <laughs> Thanks so much again. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and thank you everybody for listening. I will talk to you in the next episode.